Welcome to The Conscious Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Alex Raymond. This is the only podcast that is 100% dedicated to the well-being of entrepreneurs. Now, I know that being an entrepreneur is a long journey and it can be really tough. So on this show, we won't be sharing generic hero stories or talking about mythical unicorns. Instead, we'll get straight to the heart of what matters most, giving you tools and resources to grow, thrive, and succeed as an entrepreneur. Every week, I'll be speaking with incredible founders, CEOs, coaches, and authors to help you be more resilient and inspired as you build the business of your dreams. My guest on today's show is Beck Seidau. Beck is the founder of Humankind Business Leaders and the former CEO of Sticker Giant. In our conversation, we talk about how to avoid getting hooked on stress, how to consume less and create more, and how to ask critical questions that will be helpful in your development and as you go through major transitions in your life and career. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Beck and welcome back to the Conscious Entrepreneur Podcast. Beck Seidau, great to see you again. Thanks for joining. Alex, thank you so much. Great to see you always. Yeah, I'm so glad to have this opportunity because when we connect, I feel this uh, great resonance together and I really appreciate and I really appreciate your energy and I want to learn from you about this uh, kind of non-conventional path that you've taken. And you have uh, you are someone who's had a lot of different things going on in their life. You've been a coach, you've been an executive, you've studied uh, contemplative psychotherapy at Naropa. You've been lots and lots of places and lots and lots of things. And I'm curious to unpack uh, and see the threads that are holding this story together. And I'd like to start just by asking about your new company. So Humankind Business Leaders, I see you've got the t-shirt on. And I love the name. Curious to hear about how this came about for you, what your motivation was. You you, you were coming out of uh, a job at Sticker Giant and then decided, hey, I want to go back into coaching. So tell me what's going on there. <laughs> well, I'll... um. I'll take us back a little bit to my early uh, childhood days. I grew up around entrepreneurial spirited people um, and we didn't even know what that was called back then. And uh, people that I describe as could make something out of nothing. Right. So um, and we're able to do that quite well. And I have enjoyed working on behalf of entrepreneurs uh, and running companies on their behalf. Um, working for larger companies and an executive team, whether I was a part of that team or not. And when I left Sticker Giant, one, I took a year to recover from burnout. And I think we'll talk about that in more detail. And I knew it was time. Like I knew it was time for me to do something different. I almost went out on my own uh, before I joined Sticker Giant. That was a deep desire I've had for a long time. And I'm so glad I didn't do it because I wasn't ready. I just wasn't ready. I had the desire, but um, had a lot of the pieces, but almost five years that I spent at Sticker Giant really solidified a lot of how I think about business, how I think about conscious leadership, conscious entrepreneurship. Uh, we just had an amazing run there. So it, it's one of those like founder stories, right? I was thinking about all this and I woke up early one morning, got out of bed and it was just like fingers snapped. And I've been thinking about uh, what would I call a business that I would start to do business advising and leadership coaching and humankind business leaders just, just was in my head. Wham. Um, and so I went in my office and sat down and played with it a little bit and pretty quickly came up with the, it, it has a capital K, humankind, the K is capital, just to emphasize the human and the kind in, in the word human. Um, and, you know, I started talking to people about humankind business leaders pretty quickly after that. So breaking all the rules, right? You got to go to market, you got to have market, product market fit. Um, I just started telling people what I was interested in, the name of the company. Um, and so many people have really illuminated what they, just like you said, I like that. Uh, so I'm on a experiment right now of collecting folks 
first thoughts as soon as uh, humankind business leaders get spoken, what comes to their mind. And it really does connect with a lot of what I believe in business is if you can get into the heart and mind of your customers and understand the folks um, that you're looking to serve, then you're going to be more successful on the front end rather than going out. And, you know, it takes some money to do all this too. So I wanted to make sure I was putting my money where something was actually going to uh, be worthwhile. So um, yeah, it just popped in my head. Awesome. Well, you didn't, you didn't ask, but I will tell you my first reflection when I hear humankind business leaders relates to connection is, is something I'm hearing because the, the human part and the kind to me is sort of a reflection of the values that I know you have. Uh, and so those are those are things that that come up for me when I think of backside out humankind business leaders all together. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for for sharing that. And you're on my short list too, my friend, to um, dive in a little deeper on all that. <laughs> Great, awesome. <laughs> um, our, and the ethos, really, um, when I have an opportunity to talk about it too, the ethos of humankind business leaders is people hearted, business minded. And there's a lot to unpack in that simple sort of mantra or ethos. Um, but I, I think you know this so well. I am so passionate about business. Um, I think we have to have great business acumen. Uh, we need to know how to run businesses effectively. And then we also need to know how to be leaders. But what I do uniquely is put those two together so they're never separated. So if I'm working with an individual client or an organization or team client, we are thinking about what's going on in the business, the patterns we're seeing. And then we're thinking about as a leadership team or you as a leader individually, how does this organization need you right now to show up um, in order to uh, keep progressing forward? And I, I don't think we're doing enough of that. Like in the organization, how is that a mirror for you as a leader? Um, and then vice versa, how are you as a leader, your presence, showing up in the organization, how is that supporting the growth and the forward movement of your organization? And so let's then translate that into your direct experience. Mm -hmm. So situations arise. How does this situation want me to respond? How does this situation want me to step up as a leader? You just said that you spent five years at Sticker Giant before going to do this. And, and I and I heard you then say, it took me a year to recover from the burnout that I experienced. What were you doing slash not doing and in regards to that question at, at Sticker Giant? And what was going on that led to severe burnout? What was actually happening under, under the covers there? Yeah, Can you share? So please, uh, yes, please and yes. Uh, thank you for the question. Um, I think you know me well enough to know I'm not going to dodge any question. So... You know, I'm a person of privilege. I, I say this all the time. So very well resourced. I have a ton of support and access to healthcare and wellness practices. I meditate in the morning. Um, I take really decent care of myself. So what I've learned is burnout doesn't really know um, any boundary, right? It can visit anybody. So I have some trouble with words and we get into that too, if you want, like when people are talking about avoiding burnout or, um, you know, these ways that we're, we're trying to uh, build a barrier away from it. And I'm more interested in, can we identify when we're burning out, uh, before the ED that's, it's like past, like you burned out. Um, so I knew I was burning out. And I did what most of us do. I kept trying to convince myself that there would be, you know, just one in one more month or in a couple weeks or uh, when we get this uh, part of the business to a completion or just all of those ways that there's some some place out in the future. I, I, um, I referenced this with a client yesterday, so I'll share it. Um, I found this. Everything is going to be uh, OK. A number of years, a lot of years ago in a little shop in Longmont. And when I saw it, I was like, I have to buy it and I have to scratch out going to be. And it's provocative to say everything is okay. Everything um, is okay. Everything is okay. And there is some privilege also in, in making a statement like that because 
people that are less resourced, uh, that can feel really far from true. Um, but the reality is when we think we're going to be okay out there somewhere, sometime in the future, we're missing the ways that we can be okay in the moment. So I knew it was happening. I absolutely knew it was happening. It wasn't like a, a moment in time when all of a sudden I, like, like humankind business leaders, the name, I woke up one morning and it was like, okay, um, I'm, I'm burning out. So I knew it over an extended period of time. Um, you know, I think, you know, most people here locally or in the industry that Sticker Giants in, we went through an acquisition um, and there was an awful lot of uh, energy spent on that while also running uh, a fast growth business. So it was just a lot going on. And at one point, I just had to get really real with myself and say, I think it's time for me to go do something else because I've I'm so invested in this that I've developed blind spots for myself, right? Um, so I did a really hard thing and I made a choice to leave, uh, knowing that I needed some pretty specific downtime to recover. And um, I took that time and uh, did some things that really helped me recover. And then, yeah, this this business came into existence through actually having that space, right? A lot of the way I understand burnout is when um, all the space you have seems to be taken up, uh, whether it's true or not. Like we we fabricate, there's I don't have any space to do anything, and we energetically lose our ability to um, have joy. Right, our joy um, meter goes way down. We're putting, we're doing things. I'm doing the right things, filling the tank, right? But what I figured out is. I can't hold like there's a hole in the bottom of the tank here. I'm putting the right things in. I'm doing a lot of the right things, but they're not they're not creating sustenance for me. Um, so I knew that I was way beyond what I could do to continue to build resilience around stress. Um, and I needed to take a break. The definition of burnout that I'm familiar with has three components. Uh, component number one is energy depletion slash exhaustion. So I'm physically tired, I'm fed up, I'm, you know, just can't, don't feel in my body. The yeah. second part is what they call depersonalization, which is yeah. cynicism, detachment, I don't give a fuck, those types of things, right? So basically really feeling detached from whatever's going on. And then the third is, reduced or zero professional efficacy. So I'm not getting my job done very well. Yeah. Um, I'm curious which ones of those you were noticing or what came up for you when, when you were noticing you were burning out? Probably um, varying degrees, all three of them, right? Um, and, you know, the demand in companies now in the work world is it's ever increasing. So there was that was true for me, like the demand, what was required of me on a regular daily, weekly, monthly basis um, got more and more, became more and more all the time. So it's it can be subtle like that. I don't know. I like analogies. So maybe this is a bad one, but it's like um, the frog in the in the uh, hot pot, right, where the water is neutral and it just continues. And I think that really connects too with uh, consciousness, uh, conscious leadership and um, awareness practice and mindful practice. I knew it, um, but it's, it's an interesting thing when you're invested in something deeply and you care deeply about something and you know that it's, it's taking more than it should. What's the point when you say it's time for me to take a break and do something different? So right. I think it's, um, you know, the three th three ways to identify burnout that you described. They're kind of textbook, but how we are in relationship to those things is really what I stay really interested in. Um, so I had, like I said, I had a ton of support and I had great mentors, coaches, uh, family support. Um, and it, it just at a certain point when that's not enough, you got to get real with yourself to say, um, I'm going to have to push a pause button here. And it was really one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um, I used to say when I was a lot younger, um, the hardest things to do most always are the right ones. Um, and 
I think there's still truth to that, right? Um, it was hard, but I recovered. Um, and yeah, that's that's stepping down as a CEO is a big deal. So how did that all go down? Like, who did you have to talk to? How did the team take it? What came up when you told people? What came up for you? Yeah. Um, you know, I think as leaders, we have a we, we most of us have an ability to compartmentalize things. Right. Um, and I think I have definitely that ability to have a healthy relationship with compartmentalizing. Um, when I let everyone know um, that I was leaving at that point, right, I think leaders often have information about big announcements in organizations before the whole organization does. Um, so I was pretty clear that I had had some time to process it um, before I let everyone else know. And, you know, when it, there's all kinds of ways to end, um, and mine was pretty quick. Um, so I let the organization know that when I was talking to them, that that would be my last day there. Um, so it was, it was pretty quick and I think it was confusing. Um, and I think people had all kinds of feelings about me leaving. Um, certainly I had all kinds of feelings about me leaving. So, um, yeah, I, and gave people time to process and myself time to process. I went back and we had a, a lunch uh, together. And, you know, it's like that you don't want to linger on, like, it's like the person that can't let go. That gets so weird. Um, and of course, I stayed in contact with, you know, certain folks. And, um, and it was just a real process of understanding how much to be or not to be in contact as people had to carry on, right, um, and process uh, doing that in my absence. So, so you yeah. had known, obviously you had known it was your decision. So you had, you know, weeks and months of notice that this was happening. And so you're like, Hey, okay, I'm at the tail end of just needing to communicate this and it's new information for everyone else. So up comes their fear, up comes their anxiety, up comes their like, why is Beck abandoning us? All that sort exactly. of stuff. Exactly. Oof. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, I think it's the, the plight of leadership. I'm having all my own. Feel, feels right that are powerful and deep and then uh, the responsibility of also abiding and being present for um, other people's experiences um, so I, I was on a zoom call in between shift changes and that's uh, when I shared with everyone and then I stayed around for the rest of the day through the afternoon um, so I could I, I walked around a lot. Uh, so I walked around and then people came over to my office. And um, I think that I, I think it's really important to think through endings like that and how given any circumstance, all the circumstances are always going to be different. And given the circumstances, how can we actually honor people's humanity, my own um, and an organization of 130 people um, that had been through uh what I called the glory years, 2018, 2019, our growth was unbelievable and continued even past the pandemic. We went through the pandemic together. We went through uh, the transparent sale of the company. So um, I let folks know in the spring of 21 that we were going to go through that process. Um, and then the company sold the last day in September. So we were pacing all along, letting folk all along, letting folks know um, that this was what was happening. So I think if you just think about what I just said, whether you've been through something like that or not, you're like, there's man, a lot there, there. There's a lot there, and so much learning even after I left around how I process stress and how I understand myself. Um, and the, the deep inquiry that came for me in that uh, recovery time was something that I will relish um, and, and continue to process, like what I learned during that year. Um, what one of my good friends and a colleague told me, take 90 days back, take 90 days and don't do anything. Don't have any conversations with anybody. And I was, I wrote a Facebook post about that or a Facebook, a LinkedIn uh, post about this is like, I was like 90 days. Now no, on the Enneagram, right, I'm an achiever. 
I'm a hardcore three, uh, and I'm thankful that I've I've ta- I took up mindful practices a long time ago because it helps that achiever in me calm the well. You've already used the word calm the fuck down and sort of look inside. Um, but yeah, I learned a lot about the achiever in me, and I'm a little bit older now. I'm 62 in a couple weeks, and I'm relying on my inner intuition and wisdom more than ever. Uh, and keeping that achiever in check, um, because that's just not what it's about as you get into this last third of, of life. You mentioned that uh, you uncovered a number of blind spots in how you work. Was that during the your year off, your your year of reflection time, or was that something yeah. that was leading up to the burning out period? And so, so what, what happened there and, and what did you learn? Like, what were those blind spots and are you doing anything about them? Or are you saying, no, I'm just going to focus on my strengths, which is also equally valid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not a big fan of just focusing on strengths. We can go down that path if you'd like to. Um, one of the things I noticed right away being um, a three on the Enneagram and achiever is I was trading stress for stress. And I've shared this um, example several times. It's just one of so many. So in the first couple of weeks, um, you know, I have time, right? Something, a lot, a lot of time. And I was catching up on projects around the house. Okay, Achiever, I've always got a list of projects, right? So I started working on some projects. And I started getting really frustrated with the bushes in my front yard that were dying. <laughs> and So how was getting mad at the bushes? Was that, did that work for you? <laughs> Yeah, no, they weren't going to grow any better. But what I what they taught me, right, and this is a big way I work with clients and organizations, what I learned was I was trading stress for stress, and I got hooked on stress, right? So part of that uh, frog in the, the hot water is we get, we lose our ability to truly reflect. And I think we have to have I had a lot of great people, mentors and coaches and people that I can call and say, hey, think about this with me. Um, But in my own experience, I had become somewhat addicted to stress, like the the heat of the everyday uh, bugs in your teeth and white knuckles. How are we going to do it? No matter what that what that um, do it was, there was this unbelievable sense of accomplishment and connection to the people that uh, work to make Sticker Giant so successful. Um, So leaders develop blind spots, I think, in some ways more easily than some of the rest of uh, the population, because we, we love the chase. We love the game. We love business. And anytime we love something that much, Um, I think we need a lot of help to look for what are our blind spots. You know, um, I, I'm a big fan of Tara Brock. Um, She's a mindful awareness meditation teacher and insight meditation uh, tradition. And she wrote a book, um, Radical Acceptance, years ago in the early 2000s. And that, that is a hallmark book for me. I go back to it again and again. But she talks about Um, how we get in a trance. It's like one of the core pieces of how uh, she talks about human experience. And that, that was one of my big awarenesses that I'd gotten in a trance and there's a way that I could do that and still have some awareness, right? Practice being mindful, having a morning meditation practice. Um, But it, it's, it's such an epidemic. More and more, I think we're going to be challenged with how we all fall into the trance, how social media and, you know, being bombarded with news and how we can't get quiet um, in ourselves. So that's a big part of what I learned and how I've uh, really used that experience of uh, burnout to stay really connected. It's like, am I where am I right now is a big question that I ask myself and ask clients too. Like, what do you know about what's going on for you right now? Um, My reflection on that is it's so, so I you know I've been an entrepreneur for a long time. I know a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, I've, I've uh, seen a lot of people working on 
they're, they're different businesses. And then you see all the habits and patterns come up. And one of the ones is the activity that you're talking about, the need for a project, the need to go do something, the white knuckle, the addiction to stress is a great distraction from asking the bigger questions in my life or from feeling the things that I don't want to feel. Because if I can keep doing, I'm a human doing, I'm not a human being, maybe I don't have to go into the parts of me that are uncomfortable or don't feel good or what have you. And so that's a perfect recipe for burnout because the more I do, the less I have to think about the things that make me uncomfortable. So I do more, I'm addicted to the stress, I'm totally hyped up on it and I'm just like, go, 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 go. And then wham, the body says, uh-uh, we're done. You know, and then people get sick or people have you know, some issue or, you know, whatever it is. But that is, you know, such a common pattern. I don't know. How, I don't think it's exclusive to Enneagram type three. Uh, I think it's anyone who's an entrepreneur. But, you know, we've seen that a lot. And so I know that you have done so much. I mean, you already mentioned a lot of it around really understanding like what's happening on the inside. Right. And I know that you took a career break to go to Naropa for a while. And like, so you've done all this stuff. And so what's the process for being able to have those kind of conversations or ask those questions and do it in a way that is contemporary? Meaning, you know, you said you love business and you've been an executive. And so, so there's a balance between, okay, we're going to go all, you know, crazy woo woo, or we're not, we're only going to scratch the surface on stuff. So how do you, how do you think about that? <laughs> what a big question, right? That was, that was like a statement question. Let me see how I can do here. Um, yeah. So I'll just talk a little bit about my own journey, but before I do that, I want to say in business in particular, one of the myths that we have um, propagated around business is it's just business. This It's not emotional. There's no place for emotion in business, right? Right. And I see your next nap there of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. right. All these contemporary messages uh, that we've received that play in the background and are so subtle often. Like, I'm sure that, you know, people listening right now aren't thinking like, oh, yeah, I think about that all the time. Um, but it's true. Like, we've told ourselves and then we've, created beliefs that we don't even know that we have that, yeah, there's no place for emotion in business, right? It's just business, no emotion. And the reality is that what we're saying is the the wisdom and emotions aren't welcome here. Um, And then what we do is we run our businesses that way. And we wonder why um, our cultures are uh, struggling, that people are less engaged Um, And we have all these situations that are uh, not functioning well in business. And it's because we've taken the humanity out of it. So there's no love. There's no juice. It's like we have a completion culture, right? We value the completion. I was just talking with a client about this this week. We we value completion over um, anything else. And so by... Even the subtle ways we value completion, KPIs, uh, OKRs, um, your to-do list, right? And there's nothing wrong with those. We need those. But we don't have the ability to check back in and say, how am I doing, right? Or, you know, uh, ask the question, how are, how are you? How are you really in your mind, in your body, and in your heart, in your soul, in your feelings? So we have this trite contemporary way that we interact with each other about how you're doing. And, you know, I, I can't answer that question really straightforward anymore. I just say, I'm all the things unless in that moment, it's true that I'm like, I'm feeling really great right now, but I usually tag it with right now because we know emotions are changing. And that's one of the reasons we don't like them in business because they're, they're messy. They, they detract us. Right. But if we, if we stop, um, stigmatizing emotion and business, then we can learn how to use emotion and our bodies to inform how this big brain of ours is so smart in business. So, you know, I'm just grateful. I don't, I really, in some ways, don't know how a lot of my trajectory that has woven to this moment happened other than I've, I've taken risks 
and known. There have been certain times in my life when I've known I just need to do something different. And again, that is a privileged place to be. Um, when I uh, was leaving home to go to college, I stayed on the right path, right? I think you know this. I grew up in a really uh, fundamental, evangelical, alt-right, conservative uh, home. My dad was a, um, a Christian minister. <clears throat> and I knew that my path looked like going to a, a college that my dad would agree to. And I didn't have the ability when I was 18 to know how to go out on my own. So I went to Liberty University, um, which is the world's largest evangelical Christian university in the world. And I had a taste of some freedom there, although it was a very strict environment. And I'll date myself as the early 80s. So, you know, men couldn't wear their hair long or even have beards and you know, female-bodied people had to wear dresses. It was, you know, that kind of, you couldn't go off campus without getting a permission slip, but it felt like freedom to me. Um, and everything, you know, that, you know, I did that was against the rules, like going to the movies felt like, a, you know, the greatest adventure of all things, like just sneaking into a movie. Um, and I got a job at UPS the summer of my junior year at Liberty. And then talk about experiencing some freedom. I was making $16 an hour back then, early 80s, working part-time, loading tractor trailers. And now I've got money. I've got money in my pocket. Uh, so I didn't go home. That was the first time. Uh, that was actually, yeah, the summer. Yeah, I didn't go home my junior year. And then I started having that feeling like I can make it in the world. So that was one of the, the big transitions that was meaningful for me, um, was having financial ability to, to live a life outside of um, my parents, right? And then I stayed with UPS for 13 years, had a great career and a great run there. I fell in love with business at UPS is what I say. I loved it. I loved the company. And then they outsourced the contact center part of the business. And I'd already been on special assignment to open one of these centers. So I'm just like, tell me where you want me to go. I want to live in San Antonio or Salt Lake. And they weren't taking any UPS management people. So I took the first voluntary UPS management reduction. And people thought, truly, like I had mental health problems. Like, why would you do that? And I did everything I could do to not work for two and a half years worked manual labor jobs, right? Um, paint contractor, landscape contractor. And then I had to go back to get a job, right? I couldn't live a life like that and landed in transportation again. But the, ne the next big pivot was um, I started working with a mindful awareness and meditation teacher. And How did that come about? Because I looked at what the outer success of my life looked like and knew it didn't feel like that in there. Like there was just that ineffable kind of like, why doesn't this feel better? Like what's going on? And so I started understanding that and ended up leaving that job after six and a half years. So altogether, and it became UPS Freight later at UPS. I was there almost 20 years uh, with a break in between. Um, and that's when I moved out to Boulder and chasing a dream because I had I loved psychology. I'd always wanted to be a psychologist. I didn't think I was smart enough to get a graduate degree. So my first master's at George Washington when I was still in Richmond, Virginia, um, proved me wrong. Um, and I moved out here to get a second master's degree and train. Um, Europa is the largest uh, Buddhist-inspired university in North America. So you can see the juxtapose, like weaving a life, like following the insides and what's happening uh, and informing on the outside your life. Um, I did a three-year program in contemplative psychotherapy, uh, set up private practice, worked in public health and mental health agencies to, you know, cobble together enough money to live on. Um, and after about three years, I was like, I, this is not what I want to do. I'm so glad I did it. Um, and I went back to the business world. Um, I also trying to get a little bit longev more longevity out of that therapy um, role. I got certified as an executive coach. 
and then got some opportunities to work with executives as a coach. Uh, and I think that was part of what helped me see, I've, I've got to go back to the business world. So, so there was always the pull of getting back into business. Yeah. And I, I mentioned it earlier, like I grew up around entrepreneurs, my grandfather on my mom's side uh, and on my dad's side uh, were both entrepreneurs. They opened gas stations and general stores and little towns and they sold livestock and bought and sold property uh, and did really well for themselves. But I never thought I was that. I always thought I could support that. I would be the person supporting it. And so right now, right, all of this trajectory, I'm like, okay, solopreneur, entrepreneur. Uh, I'm, uh, I've hung out with a lot of them, supported a lot of them. And now I, I have some insight in mm -hmm, that that's the next big um, thing for me. One of the most powerful tools out there for entrepreneurs is the zone of genius. And I'm really excited to share that Gay Hendricks, the creator of Zone of Genius, is coming to Boulder in November, on November 8th, for an in-person workshop to help you uncover your zone of genius. If you're an entrepreneur and you want to get to that next level, this is going to be a tremendous opportunity to spend time with Gay Hendricks working on what matters most. Check out the website, ConsciousEntrepreneur.us for more information, and I hope to see you there. Now, as a coach, now that you've come back into this into this realm and uh and with everything that you learned at, at at ups ups freight and so on what are you some of your favorite questions to start with like where do you where do you go if you know an, an executive comes in and, and and wants to work with you and you know whatever wherever they are on the spectrum of you know consciousness or willingness to work on this stuff how do you how do you typically like to start it, it always starts with what are you noticing, right? So um, I use all my training and mindful awareness and meditation to work with clients, whether we're talking about that really directly or not, it's, it's what informs how I work. So one of the first questions um, after, you know, uh, a session and then a, a week or two is, is what have you been noticing? And when we end, I say, here are the things we're working on. So these are the things you'll be looking for in the next week or two uh, so that we can uh, work with those things. I'm a big fan of helping people see you do not need to know what to do in any intense or precise moment, but to know that something came up for you. Um, and then we go back and we replay it. It's like, I'm not a big sports fan uh, by any means, but it's like how teams practice to um, have a game with another team. They watch the other team's um, games, right? And they watch, then they watch their own replays, right? Uh, sports teams the next morning after a game where they won or lost, they watch the game again. So, and it's connected to agile uh, and agile methods, the, the idea of um, retrospectives, right? We can work retrospectively with awareness. And then what that does is start to build confidence, right? And it builds confidence, not in that, like, I can do it, uh, but it builds confidence in that we can make a different choice, that there are moments of choice that will we get in that trance and we're just, you know, going through the motions, which is one of the things uh, burning out at Sticker Giant, I started to notice I was missing moments of choice and just sort of on the treadmill kind of thing, right? Um, and that wasn't good for me or it wasn't good for the company either. Um, and that's it's really hard to own up to that. Like I'm on, I'm on a treadmill here. So really getting um, in an intimate relationship, in a coaching relationship that's intimate. And I think that's where we're missing a lot for leaders right now is many leaders do not have the intimate space to tell the truth. Many because leaders if, do not have the intimate space to tell the truth. Right. And yet what we're telling leaders to create are safe enough spaces. We want them to create psychological safety. And what I've experienced is most of the folks that have in their charge creating psychological safety within their organizations don't know how to do that with their leadership team first. 
or even themselves. So there's, and, and we talk about empathy and authenticity and all of these like words that have become buzzwords, right? Mindfulness. Um, but we're not uncovering the preciousness of how we actually practice that. And we don't create spaces where people can be courageous and say, you know what, Beck, I'm not a really very empathetic person. Uh, and to be honest, I'm not even sure I know what empathy is or authentic. What it, I don't even know what it would be like for me to be authentic. And so then what ends up happening is we have enough information out there on social media outlets, LinkedIn, books, podcasts, it goes on and on. And people end up with little sound bites of information. And then they think they know something, but they know it here. They don't know it in practice. So back to your question around what are questions I like to ask clients is, is simply that. And then asking them about, I'll, I'll listen to a client for a while, you know, giving me the report. These are, you know, the, the happenings. And then I'll end up saying something like, well, I'm just, I'm interested in how that is for you. And then, you know, they'll answer sort of up here. And I'm like, well, how, how does that, how does that actually feel to you? Can, can you, can you come up with a word? And, and where do you feel that in your body? Right. And just know, like every client that I start out with, we're not doing that right away unless people already have that kind of practice. So we're working our way toward that. Um, so building that trust, right. And the relationship enough um, to ask questions to see if people can really, it's, it's the conscious practice. You have to look inside to develop consciousness. Consciousness isn't going to happen out here or up here. Consciousness lives in here. There are so many words, like you were saying, authenticity, empathy, whatever it is, uh, on this topic. And, you know, I was thinking about it really comes down to when you're talking, when you're sharing, when you're in conversation, do you have the courage to say that thing yeah. that's sitting somewhere, you know, behind that, that has been lingering, that is messy that is emotive that is scary to say otherwise we can have all the words you know and like have mission statements on posters and have a you know meditation room in the office or whatever it is that we're doing but you know me as a leader am i willing to expose myself and to to be brave and and to me the the like the core concept on that is is courage so it's the awareness yes i need awareness and then i need to say i'm willing to act i'm willing to lead by example and you know like you were saying that leaders need intimate spaces it's that leading by example and like going doing it i'm going to say this thing and see what happens that's the magic right yeah. At least that's what strikes well, me. Is that's where the magic is. It is. And I think many people think uh, perhaps an intimate space is a place to commiserate. And it, it, it might be that. But if there's not someone in that intimate space where leaders are commiserating, asking, how, how do we want to go from here? Or how does this inform? Or is um, how is this showing up in patterns within the organization, right? I'm a, a pattern recognition person is like, do we know the high level patterns within an organization? And are we working um, to understand those patterns were created and allowed even, if you will, by the leadership team, by the executives? And are we willing to unpack that and say, we're noticing a pattern in the organization of avoidance, of um, stress, of um, um, overachieving, right? Any of those patterns that you can see start to emerge. So it's, it's one thing to have awareness, but the reality is awareness will make you crazy if you don't actually know how to use the awareness, right? Because it's part of our human condition. We have awareness and that we don't like, and then we get busy shutting the awareness down or being really mean and awful to ourselves. And so then who wants to be aware? Shoot, I'm just going to get on the treadmill again and get on the trance and, you know, watch a lot of 
YouTube. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I have my favorite shows too, but we, we start, we have to numb ourselves in order to, and there's lots of ways to numb. You don't have to be addicted to, you know, drugs or food or, I mean, wow, the list is too long, but we numb ourselves by just not paying attention. This is making me think about something that, that you wrote uh, talking about for us to, for us to really change the outcome of our lives. And, and one of the things that you wrote is, is that we must, you know, we can't let the shadow run the show. And this is the first time we're talking about shadow today, but I'm, I'm curious in the context of numbing or not being happy with what my awareness is finding or wanting to get back on the, the treadmill, you know, what does not letting the shadow run the show mean and what could someone do about it? Yeah. I, I think we end up uh, doing things like vilifying something that um, is uncomfortable, right? So we vil we end up vilifying the shadow. Like, oh, yeah, I've got my shadow side, but I've got it in check, right? Um, so I think we, we don't... Um, you know, we don't overcome burnout. We, we, these things about overcoming, the only way we progress in our consciousness is to accept all of who we are and then learn how to practice with that, right? So we befriend, it's Tara's book, um, um, Radical Acceptance. We befriend all the parts of ourselves. Because, and you're probably familiar with parts work, we have parts that we like and parts we don't like. And so we, we try to cluster up around the parts we like and not pay attention to these. But the reality is we know it in other humans uh, and we would probably all agree that, you know, even your worst nemesis, someone that um, doesn't like you at all or is an enemy, has something to teach you. So people will agree often to that externally, but when we turn that into your villains, your demons, your dark sides, your little kid that's scared to death, then then it's a different conversation. I want them to stay away, stay in the background, stay locked exactly. up somewhere. Exactly. Well, and you know, and um, I don't say a lot about Buddhist teachings, but in Buddhist teachings, Mara was the Buddha's um, nemesis, right? And would say all these things, um, that were down, you know, put the Buddha down. And what did he do? Come have tea. Make a beautiful place for for it to for Mara to sit and serve tea. And if we could do that inside, think of the difference that we make externally in all of what's happening in in the world around um, polarization of politics and belief systems and who has and doesn't have rights to be here. That's where that comes from. It comes from the heart of people that are what I'd say confused about their own inner uh, demons, if you will, shadows uh, that they have pushed away and whatever's inside always shows up outside. It can't not happen. It's going to show up. Yeah. And so I can't run away from this stuff. I have to, have the courage to to face it, face them, welcome them, uh, figure out how to love them or work with them. Well, I'd say you can run away. You actually can. And and as humans, we've gotten really good at it in this modern world. There's lots of ways to run away and live a life that's good, looks good on the outside. Um, but I think a lot of people live in a compromised state of having at least some level of awareness that they're not living a whole person existence. So does taking radical care of ourselves mean that we are working with these shadows? We are, we are dealing with them or what are some of the other elements of taking radical care of ourselves? Well, I think, you know, mostly we hear a lot about the external ways we need to take care of ourselves. Right. I mean, we go to those, go to the spa, exercise, eat, right brush your teeth, sleep, you know, those things. And that's good. That's um, body awareness. We, we need that. But how are we taking care of um, our minds? So one of the things taking care of ourselves and our minds is consumption. I've been working on this myself more recently because I have, I have more time and I read a lot. I read a lot online. I read books. Um, 
I consume a lot of information recently, and I wish I could remember where I heard this. Um, I heard someone say that consumption is uh, the enemy of creativity. So, and and it is the um, expression of a lack of confidence. So as you continue to consume, you're consuming because you don't think that you could put something out. And boy, is that a big part of my story. I mean, you, you follow me a little bit. I'm starting to be more active on LinkedIn. I'm writing more. I, the journey to get to that was huge. And one of the things I knew I needed to do when I was leaving Sticker Giant was amplify my voice and, and write more. And it was one thing to know that when I was leaving and a little over a year later to be actively doing it, whole different thing. So it's a great really, new mantra for us to have. What consume, is it? It's a great new mantra for us to have uh, consume less, create more. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So the anecdote, right, it, to, to consumption is to get quiet and see what's already here. Right. And you and I both know this and being, you know, conscious uh, leadership practitioners, we know most of what we need to know. It's just covered up. Right. It's completely covered in our beliefs that we've unwittingly put together throughout our life and our not enoughness and our all the ways that it's covered. Um, and working with a coach that knows that is one that I'm not trying to do anything. A, a, a client recently said to me, well, blah, blah, blah. And you did that. And I was like, I, I didn't. I didn't do that. Um, I, I might have helped create an environment or a space for that. But I didn't do it because I can only show up to help in the way that people are ready. And one of the things I'm, I love that I have the ability to do is be patient and have a lot of grace so that I can meet people early in a process of, you know, their early understanding of themselves at a deeper level or someone that's way on down the path. Right. Um, because I remember my tender beginnings when I found my way to my first meditation teacher's office. And I remember meeting with her many times and not understanding why I can feel it right now in my voice. I could barely meet with her without crying. I didn't have words. I just knew there was something, something. And so I've been on a journey uncovering that for my whole life since then. I was in my, yeah, I was in my early 30s. So it never gets old for me. Um, it never gets old. Uh, it gets hard sometimes, like <sighs> one more round on the self-awareness wheel, right? Um, but that's, I don't know any other way to do it. Um, I don't know any other way to do it. I, I do want to say, Alex, that it, it is so important what you're doing in the world, um, creating conscious entrepreneur um, and the summit and when I talked about intimate spaces, like it is exactly what you're doing in the world, um, creating environments where people can trust that they can be all of themselves, whether they know what that means yet or not. Right. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate you. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. Heck, as, as we, as we wrap up here, there's a couple of things I'm, I'd love to get your input on. Uh, yeah. And first, as you just mentioned, the, the Conscious Entrepreneur Summit, which we had year two uh, in in June of 2023 here in Boulder. Yeah, it went, it went great. Uh, and you've been to both of them. Uh, so you came to our first year one in Denver and then in, in year two in, in Boulder, Colorado. And I'm curious to hear your definition of what is a conscious entrepreneur. What does that mean to you? Yeah. Well, the first part, the conscious part is that um, deeper inner awareness, right? It's a, it's a full body awareness. It's your mind, your heart. Uh, and your body. And it is, it's awareness, right? It's coming out of the trance. It's uh, trusting, you know, what's going on. If you look inside and ask yourself, what's going on here? So that's the conscious part of it. And we know through conscious leadership, right? It's above and below the line of consciousness um, and how we trick ourselves to, you know, pop out of, you know, the above the line and just go down, you know, an entrepreneur, uh, I think it's changing, right? Um, 
it, it, for me, it's that definition I use of people I grew up around when I was a kid. It's, it's people that see a thing, don't know how it's going to get done, get really passionate about it, and figure out a way. Um, and I think what we're learning about entrepreneurship is the, um, it's not just about the, the founder, right? It's about, it's about a spirit of entrepreneurship, I think we end up taking an idea and placing it like a, a noun or a, a name on a person, right? That's an entrepreneur. I'm interested in the entrepreneurial spirit and entrepreneurial organizations um, because we center things too much on a person, the visionary, the founder. And I just, I think that takes, takes away from the whole of how people can show up and help build a conscious company. What are your practices? You alluded to meditating in the mornings. And of course, you've done a lot of personal work. What does a typical day look like for you? Or what, what are you doing? Yeah, I this question comes up and I, I, I so I'm so drawn to people that have like this regimented disciplined morning, you know, routine. And I don't I have I have things I do. I walk, I meditate. Uh, summertime, I have a garden that's a community garden that's a block from my house. Um, I read. And I do a lot of things. But what I've found is if I get really regimented, then it just doesn't work. So I'm, I'm more in a state of flow. And I know the things, if I do them, that are better. If I meditate and go for a walk, my day is going to be better. Um, but I just started using the Oak Journal uh, that you offered um, that was um, given. Thank you, to Keith attendees. Roberts. Yeah, yeah Keith Roberts. You. I reached out to him recently. And, you know, I'm really enjoying, again, going back to pen and paper because uh, I had a system on my iPad for a number of years. And before that, I used pen and paper. So I'm really finding a lot of value in going back to pen and paper. The other thing I do is uh, a friend that we share in common gave me this book. Um, and it really is that looking inside. So it's um, the Q&A, a day for the soul. And it's 365 questions that you answer over a five-year period of time. And I really enjoy doing that. And I've been doing it for about a year and a half. So I've got one year to look back and see cool. what, was, what was the answer a year ago. Um, but I, yeah, I do give myself a lot of permission to greet the day in, in whatever day I'm having. Uh, but I know I know those things that make for for a good day. Great. It's funny, by the way, I'll just add as editorial, I ask a lot of people this question and almost everybody says, oh, I'm not one of these people who has a super regimented routine, but here's what I do. And so I'm learning that the, the super regimented routine is a myth. It doesn't actually exist out there. There's no. probably a very small number of people who who really who really stick to it. Uh, you mentioned that you are a reader. What are the resources, books that you love that you would want to share with our community? Yeah, I, I, I think I'll share one. I, so many books, right? I've, you can see in here, I'm surrounded by books. Um, I think with the struggles that leaders are having right now, Brene Brown is one of the folks I go back to again and again. And these masks that we're wearing in order to uh, be leaders right now, uh, she gives us a lot of insight and in dare to lead and talking about daring leaders versus armored leaders. So um, I've been going back to that book a good bit lately. I've mentioned Tara Brock's Radical Acceptance, Effortless um, by Greg McNone. He wrote uh, Essentialism before this, and it really brings into view one of the things he talks about is the uh, Puritan work ethic that we've all um unwittingly signed up for as a three that really speaks to me right and unwinding this um, harder faster better um, ideas that we have and then anything around conscious leadership there's the 15 commitments of conscious leadership uh, the enneagram is something i'm studying if it's um, business really directly like for your company i like the um, organizational rewilding i call them thin books and you can get a thin book on whatever stage growth you're at and understand what are the um, what are the uh, things that need to be happening in your business in order to be really successful. Um, and I'm certified in organizational rewilding, so I, I really do like that method. 
Fantastic. Well, hey, Beck, it's so nice to talk to you and see you and learn more about your journey and how important mindful awareness has been in you as you craft your life and your career and all the ways that you are using that to express who you really are. So I, I really appreciate this conversation and thank you so much for coming to joining us on the Conscious Entrepreneur Podcast. Thank you, Alex. Appreciate you and appreciate uh, our conversation. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Conscious Entrepreneur. If you're ready to go deeper into working on yourself, check out the upcoming events, articles, and resources on our website, which is ConsciousEntrepreneur.us. I'd also really like to thank the team at Hivecast for producing this episode. If you run a podcast and are looking for an awesome, full-service production company, make sure to check out Hivecast.